Do you like free stuff? I do. BlueprintMCAT.com. Go sign up for a free account. Get access to Blueprint MCAT's Diagnostic, Blueprint MCAT's Full Length One, Blueprint MCAT's amazing brand new space repetition platform with over 1,600 flashcards already made for you, as well as their amazing study planner tool. Schedule out the content so you know if you are on track to take the MCAT when you need to. Again, that's blueprintmcat.com for all of those free goodies. The MCAT Podcast, session number 233. A collaboration between the medical school headquarters and Blueprint MCAT. The MCAT Podcast is free MCAT prep to help you understand the MCAT, teach you how to break down questions, and give you the skills and confidence to get the score you want on your MCAT test day. Learn more about Blueprint MCAT at blueprintprep.com slash MCAT. And welcome to the MCAT Podcast. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week. As always, I'm joined by a marvelous member of the Blueprint Live Online instructor crew, hanging out, nerding out about MCAT stuff, everything MCAT. And for the last several months, we've been breaking down Blueprint MCAT Full Length 1. This time, we're going to jump into Psych Soch Passage 4, a little bit about ethics. We're going to continue with the wonderful Dorothy, who we met last week. And we're going to talk about some palate cleansing to begin with. Dorothy, welcome back to the MCAT podcast. I'm excited to dive in with you into passage four of Blueprint MCAT Full Length One, which everyone can get for free at blueprintmcat.com. We've been spending the last several months here breaking down question by question, passage by passage. And we are on passage four of Psych Soch, which is right after the first set of discrete questions in this mm-hmm. section. When you finish a set of discrete and you know you're jumping back into a passage, what kind of process do you go through <laughs> uh, as you click that next button to jump into the passage? Yeah, I think it's all about clearing the palette, just making sure that I'm not dwelling on previous sections, I'm not dwelling on the previous passages that I just read, and I'm ready to go kind of refresh. So I usually take about a few seconds, just take a deep breath, close my eyes, get ready for the next passage. And knowing that I have to start reading with high focus and intensity and motivation. And yeah, I think taking a few seconds, it's not going to kill your pacing. It's not going to ruin your section for you. And it's highly, I think it's highly worth it in terms of just being able to clear your mind before you dive into another passage. So you you take a little bit of that metaphorical ginger to cleanse your palate before that next yeah. that next bite. <laughs> we all love our sushi. We all need the ginger to clean cleanse the palate. Nice. <laughs> Same thing here with your deep breathing. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I had sushi last night, so I'm I'm all about it. <laughs> Sushi's uh, on the brain. <laughs> it is. It is definitely on the brain. All right. So definitely a, a good good plan to cleanse the pa- palate before we jump into the next passage. I, I'm excited to jump in this, into this passage and and see how you break down these these, uh, passages and paragraphs. Yeah. All right. So starting with passage four, 98% of U.S. medical students begin their first year by taking an oath to act with integrity and to uphold the responsibilities of the medical profession. This promise sets a high standard of behavior for them from the start of their medical education, but many medical schools fail to set or regulate similar ethical or professional standards for their faculty. 
This can result in maladaptive learning environments in which students frequently observe and internalize disrespectful and unethical behavior towards patients, their peers, and other faculty. So right off the get-go from this first paragraph, we kind of get the stage, stage set for us, right? We're talking about U.S. medical students starting their first year and noticing perhaps some sketchy behavior. They're noticing some um, ethical professional standards that are set, but maybe not always met. And so we sometimes see that these students are seeing disrespectful and unethical behavior towards patients, peers, and other faculty. So from the get-go, I'm kind of thinking about what I know about ethical professional standards, what might be related here, and kind of noticing that we're talking about these learning environments that might not be healthy or might not be conducive to um, growing ethical and professional behavior for these students. Okay. What would you highlight here, if anything? Yeah, I think I would probably highlight just ethical professional standards. So I know that those things are failing. There's a failure there to set those um, and establish those. And then also the maladaptive learning environments where, you know, we're seeing disrespectful and unethical behavior as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All righty. Okay. Awesome. Next paragraph. One report of unprofessionalism in medicine found that 92% of practicing physicians had witnessed some kind of unethical behavior while in medical school, but did not report it. The most common offenses are outlined in table one. So I know to look in table one for those common offenses, and maybe I would highlight, you know, 92% of practicing physicians had seen unethical behavior, but did not report. So there's that um, statistic of seeing the behavior, but not reporting it. So that um, that behavior kind of goes under the rug. It doesn't get, um, nothing is done about it. All right. And then looking at table one, we see percentage of physicians who witnessed each type of unethical behavior. And we've got several categories with a percentage of frequency. So we've got categories of failure to obtain patient consent for procedures, discrimination of patient, patient based on SES, humili- humiliation or harassment of patients, humiliation or harassment of students and humiliation or harassment of nursing staff. And we kind of have a range of percentages. Um, Most notably, there's a lot, um, the highest percentage at (laughs) 97.9% for students, (laughs) of students. Yeah. Um, As well as nursing staff at 76.9, also quite a high percentage as well. Yeah. Um, In terms of patient treatment, there is 52.3% discrimination of patient based on SES. So maybe something that we're thinking about as well in terms of just unethical behavior mm-hmm. that can occur. Yeah. Okay. There's no way to look at significance here. So it's just essentially a table of values noting frequency of those things. So kind of just note that those, um, that, those information, uh, that set of information is there. And then moving on, you can come back to it as needed if you have a question related to it. Yep. All right. Next paragraph, the culture of medicine makes it difficult to fully understand how problematic unprofessionalism is. There's immense pressure to stay silent. Students are concerned that reporting incidents may result in retaliation, negative evaluations of performance, or damage to their career. Others believe that they must obey their superiors no matter what. Some faculty members believe that the unethical or unprofessional behavior of their peers is a normal aspect of the medical school experience that students must endure as a rite of passage <laughs> Oof. or feel such behavior is necessary when establishing successful medical practices. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you can relate to this at all, Ryan. Um, 
going through it yourself. But um, from this paragraph, I'm really noting, okay, there we're talking about the culture of medicine and maybe how problematic it is. So I would probably highlight the culture of medicine in the beginning of that paragraph. Um, there is pressure to stay silent. You'd probably note that as well. There's this idea of obedience. Others believe that they must obey their superiors. So maybe highlighting that bit, bit as well. And yeah, this idea that there is a rite of passage to endure unethical or unprofessional behavior as well. Yeah. Luckily, I don't I don't remember much going through my training. I, I remember one specific thing where a an attending was reaming out a resident uh, mm. during a surgery. And, and I felt it was it was completely <laughs> um, uh, completely justified because the, the resident was was clueless on what was going on mm. in the surgery uh, with anatomical landmarks that they were looking at, uh, which obviously, if you're a surgeon, that is Probably a, a huge right. problem. And so, <laughs> I mean, are, are there maybe better ways of, of handling that? I, I, yeah, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was rough for the, the resident. The re resident was obviously very flustered and, and probably very, um, uh, what do you call embarrassed, uh, about right. what was happening, but yeah, gotta be ready as a surgeon. <laughs> I don't know if that's just pushing the surgeon mentality further, but it, it was, it was pretty bad. I don't know. I'd want my surgeon to at least know <laughs> the anatomical landmarks surrounding the site of yes. <laughs> so yes, it's very important. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's finish this out. So last paragraph here. It is important that students and physicians work together to challenge these implicit values. Leaders in medical education and practice must commit to improving professional conduct and establishing anonymous or confidential reports of offenses. If violators are forced to take responsibility and be accountable for their unethical behavior, they'll be less likely to engage in that behavior in the future. All right. So now this paragraph is really talking about things we can do in the future to um, perhaps better the learning environments for these students and physicians as well. Mm -hmm. So maybe things I would highlight are um, challenge these implicit values, um, maybe with students and physicians working together as well. And then we have some ideas and suggestions for things that we can actually do. So establishing anonymous or confidential reports of offenses. And in doing so, it forces violators to take responsibility. So I'd probably highlight that piece about the anonymous or confidential reports of offenses. All right. So basically, if you have rules people won't break the rules. <laughs> we know how that works in society. <laughs> Theoretically, <well>. at least. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's there's a big difference if, if there's ramifications for someone's medical license or practice or something, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. <sighs> All right. So we get through a, pair, uh, a passage. What is your mindset? As you go paragraph to paragraph, you're highlighting you're kind of taking it all in. Do you have a specific, okay, I'm done reading the passage. Let me go skim through my highlights real quick before you jump into the question or you just go, okay, I'm done with the passage. It's time to go read the questions. Yeah, so with so with cars, it's more main idea and author opinion. So I asked myself two things. With sciences though, I just wanna make sure I understand the main idea. Mm. So what was this passage about? What was the main topic? Um, what were the things that were laid out here? So being able to kind of summarize it in a one or two sentence um, little phrase there would be helpful. Okay. So 
for Should this we one, what would it together? be? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it would probably be there are maladaptive learning environments. Students are noticing unethical and unprof- unprofessional behavior in the learning environment. And we have a table with frequencies of particular types of that behavior. We have this idea of, you know, maybe we should do something about it. Maybe we should have um, physicians and students work together to challenge these things and to establish different ways to combat it, like the anonymous or confidential reports. So pretty straightforward for this passage in terms of setting up the stage um, and looking at potential solutions as well. Okay. All right. Let me jump into the question. So question 18, which of the following biases is least likely, I hate these questions, least <laughs> likely to have affected the review of professionalism. So least likely to have affected the review. A, reconstructive bias. B, social desirability bias. C, attrition bias. Or D, selection bias. So I think this is pretty easy. Um, only, and maybe I, I'm, I'm making it uh, too easy, is attrition bias for me is over a long study, when patients drop out and you lose mm-hmm. them to follow up, you have attrition, right? And that's just a normal yeah. part of, of how research works. Now, uh, are they, is there attrition because they're dying or attrition because whatever, <laughs> right? We, we don't know, right? Attrition because they, they didn't, uh, the, the medication just didn't sit with them well. And the company is like, oh, the medication works great, but all of the people it didn't work great for it left the study. So you can't follow them. So- right. For for this one, it doesn't seem like this is has anything to do with attrition because it's it's just talking about experiences. So I'm going to go with C, attrition bias, because it seems like that's the obvious answer. Yeah, C would be correct. I think also noting the methods that were used here, it was just a survey, right? People were asked about their experiences, just one-time survey. And so there's not really a research study, like a longitudinal time period for people to drop out of that study. And so... Yeah, not really relevant to the situation. Nice. <laughs> All right, one for one. I'll take it. All right, question Amazing. 19. Oh, you, you get the Roman numeral oh, one. Let's go and read this one. All right, let's do it. Question 19. Medical students may feel helpless when confronted with unethical behavior because they believe that reporting will have serious negative repercussions. As time goes by, they become more stressed and upset about the situation. What types of stress are they likely feeling? So you've got distress for Roman numeral one, eustress for Roman numeral two, and then new stress for Roman numeral three. New stress. I'm new stress. Uh, <laughs> N-E-U yeah. stress. <laughs> new stress. Not like, oh, this is new to me. Right. Um, yeah. New stress. <laughs> I don't know what new stress is. So that's the the outlier for me. Um, Roman numeral one, I, I think the strategy we, we play for Roman numerals is which answer choice is in the most answer choices or which Roman numerals in the most answer choices. Roman numeral one and Roman numeral three are, uh, are used twice. So distress, obviously, I think we all understand distress is negative, right? It's bad. Yeah. Bad stress. Yeah. Yeah. You stress. I don't, again, I don't remember the definition. Is that good stress or is that, is that kind of not stress? Um, It's good stress. So you is positive. So positive type of stress. It's like, you might find something challenging, but it motivates you rather than working down you. Mm -hmm. So, so as we look at this, right, it's, they, they may feel helpless when confronting, 
confronted with unethical behavior because they believe that reporting it will have serious negative consequences, right? Repercussions. That's that's yes. distress. Uh, as time goes mm -hmm. by, they become more stressed and upset about the situation. What types of stress are they feeling? So uh, number one is is obvious. Number two yep. is not. Uh, so it's it's either A, one only, or D, one and three only. And because I don't know what new stress is, I'm not going to add that in as a variable. I'm just going to go with A. Okay. Well, that would be a good <laughs> good move on your part. It is A only, so it's only distress. Um, just for um, just for kicks and giggles, does new stress, the new part of that, remind you of any word that could either be good, bad, or in the middle? Uh, neutron. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. No, I, I don't know. No, well, neutral, right? So right, ne yeah. neutral potentially um, as a word, which neutral is doesn't matter one way or yeah. another. And even with a neutron, that's zero charge yeah. versus a positive positive charge or a negative charge. So yeah, new stress is just a neutral type of stress. It's you're exposed to something stressful, but it doesn't actively or directly mm. affect you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So good. Good guess on that on that one. <laughs> All right. Two for two. All Question right. 20. At one university, faculty members who behave unethically are required to have a meeting with the dean. Uh-oh. <laughs> After their Someone's meeting, in trouble. Yeah, their unprofessional behavior decreases. What process does this uh, describe? A, positive reinforcement, B, negative reinforcement, C, positive punishment, or D, negative punishment. So reinforcement doesn't seem like it's the right answer, right? They're being punished. They have to go talk to their their parents. <laughs> they have to go talk to the boss. Um, so reinforcement to me just doesn't seem right. So I'm going to cross off A and B automatically. Now, the question, positive punishment, negative punishment. Well, we know that th there's a positive outcome because their unprofessional behavior decreases. And so, but I think that's a trap answer because it's <laughs> it's negative punishment, right? They are punished. It's negative. Um, so I'm going to go with D just because I think C is a trap. Okay. It actually is C. So oh, darn. Should have trusted your gut. Um, however, I think we should clarify those definitions a little bit. So punishment, so it is positive punishment. And so when we talk about punishment, that means we're decreasing the frequency of a behavior. So in this case, the unprofessional behavior is decreasing over time. And so that's a good thing for us because it's a bad behavior that's decreasing. But punishment is meant to decrease the behavior. On the other hand, reinforcement is something that promotes or increases or encourages the yep. frequency of a particular behavior. So it is punishment um, because that behavior goes down in frequency. And then positive or negative is just taking away or adding something. So positive means you're adding something. In this case, it's positive because they have to have a meeting with a dean. So we're adding that meeting with the dean rather than taking something away. Interesting. So taking away would be the faculty members who behave unethically are required to have a thousand dollars less pay sure yep right that Ta works. taking money <laughs> yep yeah so positive punishment is adding something to decrease a behavior negative punishment would be taking something away from them again to decrease behavior got it yeah 
Okay. Pretty straightforward definition there. All righty. And then question 21 uh, is yours. All right. To read. Question 21. What social phenomenon most accurately describes the experience of the physicians in the review? And we've got A, de-individuation, B, social loafing, C, group polarization, and then D, bystander effect. Oh. <laughs> so the experience of the physician. So it's the physicians. All right. So the experience of the physicians, percentage of physicians who witnessed each type of behavior. Ooh. So bystander effect is the one that I'll start with because that's the uh, the one we know the most, thanks to Seinfeld, uh, mm-hmm. is the is the one where you are watching something happen, but you don't really do anything about it um, right. for fear of whatever, um, mm-hmm. uh, or or because you just assume somebody else is going to do something about it. So we we have that effect here because you're seeing people not reporting it. Um, because they're fearing their the consequences of that. So D seems like the the easiest answer, but it seems too obvious. Mm-hmm. No, you're correct. It is D. I think the key for this question is yes, they witness it, but they also don't report it. They don't yeah. do anything about it, and so inherently they are bystanders to whatever's happening. So awesome. All right. Do you want to go over deindividualization, <laughs> social loafing, group polarization? Do you, do you have that? Yeah, let's do it. it. Yeah. Yeah. So de-individuation, what does that sound like? It sounds like you're removing the ability for someone to be themselves. Yep. Basically what it is, you're kind of losing your sense of self and individuality, especially when in a group. So um, it's kind of giving into whatever the group is and kind of losing your sense of self, molding yourself into a part of a group. Um, It's also, yeah, just not acting in a way that you might normally act because you are giving up your individuality to whatever else is going on. Um, Social loafing is, I always think about like you're in a group project, someone slacks a bit because they just assume that everyone else can kind of take up the reins for them. So social loafing is um, someone slacking or you have less pressure to perform at a higher level because there are other people there that could pick up the slack for you. And then C, group polarization, that's when thoughts within a group move towards extreme ends after Mm. meeting with people who are kind of like-minded. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that, that uh, definition from another passage somewhere. Right. We've seen that before. (laughs) Um, All right. And then last question of this passage, which type of social influence do medical students experience when they engage in behavior that they privately feel is unacceptable and unethical, but that is considered normative in medical school. A, conformity, B, obedience, C, self-fulfilling prophecy, or D, informational social influence. So again, this one just seems too easy, but conformity, right? You're conforming to the norms even if you're not comfortable with it. It's peer pressure. Um, Yeah. So I'm gonna go with A as as an answer there. Yep, you have a problem with it, but you don't do anything because it's the norm. You're un- afraid to speak out. And yeah, that's conformity all the way. 
All right. This passage seemed too easy, but I'll, I'll take it. I'll, I'll take it. We'll take them when we can get them. <laughs> yes. Um, so talk about, we at the beginning, we talked about uh, kind of cleansing the palate as you jump into the next passage. Mm-hmm. At the end of a passage, right? You, you know that this is the last question in the passage. Do you do any sort of anything or is it just the same cleanse the palate before the next one? Yeah, same cleanse of palate. If I felt unsure about a certain question, I would probably flag it so that it would come back later. But in this one, I felt like it was pretty straightforward throughout. So I'm just feeling good about my questions. I'm ready to move on. Then take yeah. a few deep breaths, move on to the it, next one. If you do flag a question, are you waiting mm-hmm. until the very end of the section before you kind of stop the section? Or are you doing passage by passage going, did I flag a question? Let me go back to it now while I'm still in the passage. I usually wait till the end because I am stressed about time. I don't know if I can get to every passage in a certain amount of time. And so I usually will flag it, put my best educated guess in um, while before moving on and then come back to it if I do have extra time. Because at least I have a guess in if all else fails and I can have some level of confidence because I felt like I put my best guess in there while flagging. All right. There you have it. Again, Dorothy from the Blueprint MCAT Live online instructor crew. You can hang out with her and many other of the MCAT Live online instructor crew at blueprintmcat.com. Again, that's blueprintmcat.com for all of your MCAT needs. I hope you have a wonderful week. We'll see you next time here on the MCAT Podcast.